Okay, welcome along everyone to Tuesday's podcast. We're recording this Monday, but we'd love you to join in the conversation with chats underneath podcasts and things. As, as we start, we want to um, make an acknowledgement of country and acknowledge and pay our respects to the first Tasmanian peoples as traditional owners and custodians of the land we walk on. We also pay respect to elders past, present and emerging and for their care of country, land and seas over the past thousands of generations. So we'd like to welcome this rough rabble to the Tuesday podcast. Speak for yourself. Uh, yeah, we got it's toasty in here too. I might have taken my jacket off. It's it's um it's like the heater was on. Anyway, we've got Paul, um Paul Dare at top of my screen. I think we're all the same. Nick Mayel, who's our children's worker, but um also the Tasmanian coordinator for mustard in and it's perfect timing, Nick, as we talk about caring for the little ones. Yeah. And Matt, um, welcome along as senior pastor. This is your gig, but welcome anyway. And uh, so <laughs> we we've um I'm feeling a little bit hungry right now. So we've got a week of prayer and fasting going on this week. And it's I actually enjoy feeling hungry when I'm praying and fasting because it reminds me to stay closer to God. Hmm. Uh, it also reminds me that um, I don't just skip meals, but I, tr I use that time to focus on God as well. So I'll be going for an hour before knockoff time just to spend a bit of time just praying and walking with God. Uh, how are you guys going for, for your week? Hmm. Yeah, off and away. I, I'm trying to record videos uh, first thing in the morning or just on our Facebook group. It's a closed group, so only people are part of the church can be part of it. And uh, probably good that it's not very public because I wasn't very awake this morning uh, and uh, sort of uh, very, a bit slow to get going. But looking forward to uh, what will be this evening when people hear this. But uh, this, the, um, Tuesday, Tuesday evening, getting up to Rosney Hill and praying for the city, knowing it may well be a little chilly, uh, but looking forward to that anyway. So that's 7pm tonight up at Rosney Hill. Yeah. And then on Thursday, we've got the engine room at 8pm on Zoom. So you can, if you go to citywidehobart.org.au slash prayer and fasting, you'll find uh, more about our prayer and fasting week. Matt, my kids thought you sounded like you had a more manly, manly deep voice this morning at 7am. <laughs> So, <laughs> so I don't know what that means for my normal voice. No. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't say anything, guys. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, this this Sunday we had a, a sermon about Matthew chapter 18, verse 10 to 14. Um, Matt, what was the basic theme of that? And then we'll actually read the passage after that. Yeah. I, I've been saying for to a couple of times now, coming into this uh, message at one level, it was incredibly simple, and I was only I was trying to make just one point: that a healthy community is focused on the little ones, on, on focused on those who don't have a lot of power. Uh, but even as we were preparing for this podcast, it became becomes clear that just that central idea, when in relation to the church, opens up a whole uh, can of worms at a whole lot of levels, uh, because. Uh, that may not be uh, how we would see the church normally or even even how we place ourselves in that and where we would see ourselves as one of the little ones or one of the not little ones or all that. So there's a whole lot, of, whole lot behind it. Uh, but, we, yeah, we started this whole series on, on Matthew 18, or this chapter, uh, talking about that Matthew 18 is a recipe for community and we actually last week put up all the things that get in the road of community, 
and and I think we've actually got that on a graphic somewhere. There it is. Uh, and I, uh, my thesis for what I was talking about on Sunday was that the antidote to all of that is by putting the little ones first. Uh, and that deals with all of the stuff that gets in the Rota community. That's my, that my thesis statement for the message and my understanding of what Jesus was trying to communicate. But uh, as I said, there's a, a lot in it. And uh, for a very simple idea, it has a lot of ramifications. Hmm. So let's hear the passage, Nick. Do you want to hit that for us? So this is Matthew chapter 18, verses 10 to 14, and I'm reading from the NIV version. It says, See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go and look for that one that wandered off? And if he finds it, Truly, I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. Yeah, thanks, Nick. Hey, Matthew, um, Pastor Matt, not the book Matthew. <laughs> Matthew 18. Um, so this, this passage is kind of broken into two sections. The first one, see that you do not despise um, one of these little ones. Um, the, do you want to tackle this in, angel question to get us started? It's an interesting one. We, di we didn't speak much on that. It's an so, interesting little verse, that one. Yeah, look, there's a lot in it. Uh, but just, just those first words, see that you don't despise one of these little ones. It's not uh, in the text. It's not actually clear who Jesus is meaning. Uh, because in the context, he has just pulled aside some kids and it could well be when he says these little ones, he's talking specifically about kids. Uh, he's also then gone on and said that all his disciples should be like kids and he's referred to the disciples as the little ones. Uh, so he could be talking about the little the disciples and in particular the, the lower status disciples. And then in the book of Luke, uh, this same story is used in context with uh, people who aren't yet Christians. And he could be meaning those who don't haven't, uh, haven't yet put their trust in Jesus. He could be, could be meaning them. But mostly in the New Testament, what I find is Jesus is smart. Uh, and uh, if uh, something could mean one of a few things, it often means all three. Uh, you can, and it doesn't hurt to think of it in terms of it's a bit rather than trying to pick my which one, one of those I prefer. Uh, and the language of the little ones. Uh, and I, I actually went on, and in Luke, Jesus tells this story about if you're going to throw a party, these are the kind of people you invite. Uh, you invite uh, the people who don't fit, you know, who he, he actually says you don't, you, you invite the people who can't pay you back. Uh, the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, the people who you're not going to receive a benefit from. And I think that's probably the best definition of the little ones, the people you're not going to receive a, better, a benefit from. There's one thing, like if, if Bono walked in, uh, he would have my attention. And I, I, while he wouldn't, wouldn't give me any money necessarily, uh, he, he, uh, just hanging around here would be a benefit for me. Jesus isn't talking about Bono here. He's talking about people who you don't think, oh, goody, I get to spend time with 
honour is people who <laughs> may take a little extra effort or, or are not going to soothe your ego or provide any benefit for you. That's what I took away from but by uh, looking at Jesus' description about the party in Luke 14 and trying to understand what he meant by little ones. That's my understanding of what he means by little ones. When he says, don't desp despise them, he's, he's saying, see to it. He's not saying this is an option. He's saying the way you see or respond to these little ones is not an option. You've, you've got to prioritise them and make sure you do not. It's in the negative. Don't... Uh, don't have a bad attitude towards them, but as a result of that, prioritise them. It's kind of the... Hmm. That, that's how I got to where I got to. That led us to the question, okay, so who are the little ones in your life? Can I just you go would... and Sorry, that, I'll go for um, Do you prioritise them or just make them equal? Well... I saw when Jesus saying Luke 14, he actually, I think, I, and I think the, the kingdom thing is you, by prioritising it, you then give them a shot at being equal. Like, I think, I think unless you, and, and, and because it, uh, it's interesting, South, there's a whole bunch of theologians in um, South America who talked about God's preferential option for the poor. Mm -hmm. where God actually preferred the poor uh, in that whenever the the prophets would turn up in the Old Testament, they really did. There, there were people they would ask about as kind of a measure of how things were going, and they would always be the widows, the orphans, the strangers in, in the land of the poor. And so I think, uh, yeah, look, ultimately... In, in the kingdom, everybody before God is equal, and that's the, the, the central thing. But in order for that to happen in the church, you've actually got to create space in a particular way. You've got to prefer some people over others because some people already have privilege, have position, and you've got to, you've actually got to privilege and position intentionally other people. That would be my... And that's a, that raises a whole lot of questions, you know. Yeah. Uh, but so, but it, yeah. So I think the outcome you're looking for is that before God, we recognise uh, we are all equally valuable. We're not all the same, uh, but we're all equally valuable before God. But that means mm. you've actually got to do some work for the people who structurally and actually aren't. Mm. Yeah, to those, to love those outside those you would naturally just find it easier to love. Um, yeah, yeah, just extend it because we because we we know Matt that if Bono came and sat in your office with you, you would capitalize on that forever. <laughs> We'd never hear the end of it. And oh, Bono, I, I, sure. I, I I would talk about that for the rest of my life. There is no question. Yeah. And the, and you'd use that status to elevate yourself. And, and Bono, we know you're listening. You're welcome anytime, but don't expect preferential treatment as you come in. But um, Well, <laughs> it'll be hard not to <laughs> because there's a whole lot of songs I want to talk to him about. That's, that's the point, isn't it, Dan? Like, it's, I would give Bono preferential treatment 
and it, I actually have to work not to. Yeah, mm. because it comes natural to you to uh, to offer that welcome. Yeah, but but Jesus is saying no for for the little ones. I mean, we've got to remember back in these times, kids were just disposable human resource. Like they were, they had no status in society, um, and and it, like you said in the Old Testament, all the way through, God's always asking, "How are you caring for the fatherless, the foreigner, the widow, hmm. yeah, and the child and the children?" Yeah, and those are people who, it, Nick, I'll ask you a question about this because because we're saying that those are people that you wouldn't naturally um, jump to first. You don't get self elevated or boost your ego by welcoming in these these positions first but as a kids worker and youth worker it's a bit different because we we can get ego and prestige from welcoming in the young people so how does that work for you yeah, it is true because you sort of look at what you're doing and you you sort of i guess yeah you feel good about what you're achieving and the people that you're working with but just as you're talking i even think about you can see it in every generation even with really young children they they have preferences for particular people and it often has to do with circumstance or what they have. You know, the kid with the cool toys is always more popular than the ones that don't have as much or the ones with the cool clothes and you really see it in teenagers. So my work with Mustard, often the kids I'm working with there are the ones on the fringe. They're not the cool kids. They're not the popular ones. They've got their community. It's the ones that are on the outer, uh, the ones that don't have as much as others or a little bit more socially awkward or aren't really sure how to handle themselves and you see that they they do get pushed to the fringe so I, I find it quite interesting that you can see it in every generation right from the time that they're like basically toddlers right through until you get to the elderly people in the church as well we're all guilty of that preferential um, attitude that we have towards others I think it, it is a danger when you work with the people that are recognised to be on the fringe to sort of elevate yourself above them. Um, mm. That can be a real danger. And I'm sure anyone who works in care would understand that feeling because automatically, you, for some reason, you just elevate yourself above them. But really, God puts us all on an even footing. We're all valuable in his eyes. There's no one who's better than others. There's just some that have had the hard knocks and some that haven't. Mm. Hmm. Any other comments around this? It's, it, well, this is it's really true, and it's and it's, and it's tough. like for social workers, or if you if you're working with people for a long time, it you, it's hard to cope, except by keeping people at an arm's length and hmm. delivering services to people, rather than w seeing them as equally you know seeing them on that equal footing like it's it's much easier to to provide care than to welcome people into your heart and life and there are, there's a whole questions about appropriate boundaries and all that sort of stuff that is, is all part of that jesus very clearly had appropriate boundaries but he he would look people in the eyes and he didn't see people as numbers um and so uh it's a yeah, it's it's a it's an interesting one. Um, I was just um, intrigued listening to that. Is I think we I'd actually like to challenge our notion of what it means to be equal, because uh, the, the way um, my daughter works in in social welfare and she she would consider the people um, equal 
but it's equal in a context of the best that they can be as opposed to equal in our worldly scale. And I think mm. listening to the way we're talking, we're actually talking in a worldly scale. When we're talking, God wants us to be the best we can be. But that doesn't mean we're necessarily equal according mm. to the world. And I think this is where, where our conversation gets a bit, bit hard because we talk about equal as in when we talk about equal, I think we're actually talking about the world view of equal. Um, well, we've got to make sure it's the God view of equal. And I just, I suppose, what is the God view of equal? It, it, and to me, it's to me, it's allowing people to be the best they can be. Mm. Um, am, am I right or am I off track there? Which is dangerous because you, who, who determines, like, it's easy to for me to think I know the best they can be. It's easy. It's easy to be paternalistic in that. That's true. Uh, and so, it's, one, uh, yeah. Well, one just, of the one of the most helpful tools for me in my youth work has been that. What I think this helps with what you're saying, Paul, is um, I, I would ask God, "How do you see this person that's in front of me? How mm. do you see them with your eyes? And then how can I reflect that back to them?" And that, that allowed me to get past presenting behavior and choices and actually see the the diamond inside rather than the facade, the, the face of it. Um, and so that, that for me was one of the most useful tools I had. But again, Matt's right, because then I'm judging what I think they are and who I think God sees them as from my own worldview rather than seeing them truly how God sees them because I can't do that. Hmm. I, I just think the language we use, we just got to be careful of it because yeah. it can actually give out false narrative. And it's a bit like the other one. I, the other one I listened when Nick was speaking, it was funny. You used they belong to their communities. As you actually used like, and it just in, you actually were individualizing communities, which was really a weird concept. But it's not a it's not a weird concept at the same time because that's mm. what we're talking about is communities, but even in your discussion, you were talking about individualised communities, which is really, mm. I suppose, getting to the crux of the matter, isn't it? You know, we all have communities, but how individual are we at the same time? Mm. I don't know. You see it so much, I guess, in the younger generations, because even in a school setting, you have so many kids who are like, I can't talk to them. They're in year nine and I'm only in year eight. And they actually divide themselves by age levels or year groups. And mm. trying to break those barriers has actually been quite a challenge for me with my work with Mustard and getting Christian groups started at lunchtimes in schools because you have students who are going, oh, well, I can't do it with them because they're two years older than me. And it's like, no, God doesn't differentiate by age or status. He He sees you all as valuable and precious and if you're sharing him with each other, there's no reason that age should be a barrier. Yep. Mm. Yeah, we, yeah, which is really interesting with what's coming up in the in the talk. So, yeah. 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 I, I think one thing I struggle with is, um, for me, often my ministry, but also my ego stuff or self stuff 
often are pointing in the same direction. And, um, if I try and explain that a bit more, I'm struggling with the words. But I, if I walk into a room, I will naturally be born to to the. I will naturally be um, focused on those who are who have less influence. It, it seems to be a way that I'm made up, and so and I'm sure that my ego feeds off that somehow. But at the same time, my ministry is also to those who are have less influence off to the kids or youth or and so both both my own um deficits and and ego self selfish things but also my ministry all are pointing towards the same outcome of caring for someone and that and there's such a such a uh, i i mean i do really relate to paul when he's saying even when i want to do good evils right there with me and and even in these ministries as i want to care for those who are less fortunate I'm aware that I will feed off that and I don't want to feed off that, but there'll be a part of it that is a constant battle. Yeah, absolutely. I think I really love metaphors and so parables really speak to me and this parable about the lost sheep uh, is something that we're mm. we're working through in Sunday school at the moment, all the parables that we've been going through in church. And I love this parable because it's a flock of sheep there would be pretty ones. There would be clean ones. There would be dirty ones. There would be the cheeky one that's always running off. Like a flock of sheep is not just a cookie cutter thing. They're, they all have their own personalities just like us. And it doesn't matter which one goes missing. That one is the one that's um, the one that the shepherd goes and finds. It could have been the cool popular sheep or it could have been, you know, the dirty down and outer who keeps running off and getting stuck in the mud pit or whatever. It doesn't matter which one goes missing. That's the one that's the focus to go and find. Mm-hmm. And so I think that really shows that it doesn't matter who you are or where you're at. God values you no matter which sheep you are in the flock. Um, so, you know, the little ones, they're usually on the fringes. They do tend to get lost a little easier. But it doesn't matter who it is that gets lost. Everybody's just as valuable and we've got to go find that one. We've got to bring yeah. them back. Mm. It's really helpful. Like I'm, I'm not a country person at all. I grew up on a dairy farm, but I've never had much to do with sheep. So I just have the, you know, I, I don't know. I just picture them all being the same. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah. And Paul, you. <laughs> they are nearly all the same. They're all really silly. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Because to a sheep, they would be very unique to each other mm-hmm. but from an outside we just think they all are the same we're just so often where we go with I mean, so things. my main experience is that they all taste pretty good with mint sauce <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> the one that got lost we know what happened <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is a beautiful metaphor it, it was interesting because as we were preparing for the sermon we often have our little chin wag before it and it was interesting because it um it's not a it's not that the other 99 are abandoned for the sake of one um that's not what this is saying at all we were talking about jesus left well the shepherd sorry left the other 99 in a, in a state of risk in, in a higher risk environment because he wasn't there and he went off to get this one and it, so that that actually sparked a fair bit of conversation as well we've got to be careful not to take um parables too far but but this thing of um i the thing i love in this passage is that jesus cares for that individual that he's lost and he'll do anything to bring it back to a place of safety back to his yeah mm. 
Any thoughts around that? Well, it's it's right. Essentially, in the language, it's it's like, and this is we're talking about the preferential kind of thing before. It's like the the shepherd, his face is turned towards the one that's lost, and it's not on the others at the moment. It's kind of like they're okay, they're taken care of. So it's like I think God's heart is turned towards the prodigal. Is turned towards the one the, the, those on the out rather than those on the in he's not focused on you know renovating the sheep pen mm. or you know trying to make it more comfortable for those on the outer on the inner he's continually looking out for those who aren't there mm. there's a safety in community as well though as much as community is people and people are messy and it's hard mm. There's, there's a safety about being involved in that and that one that is lost has left the fold of the community. They're not there within yeah. that safe zone. So um, just makes it all the more important to draw them back in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think it's more trust than safe. That's one of those weird ones. I was just thinking about the sheep. We actually have named a few on our property um, and they actually come and they, they hang around you and they don't worry about you. They don't do the flight thing. And the ones that, so you can actually leave them and they're quite okay. So they, so they, they feel safe, but I think it's a trusting because they know you. And so, yeah. I, yeah, it's, and you know, when we talk about Jesus and the 99 sheep, so you've got 99 people who have a trust in Jesus and you've got one, one that hasn't, and that's the one that Jesus is looking for. Now, hopefully you're, you're, when you're amongst other Christians or other people who believe you, you know, your trust actually doesn't get weaker. It continues to grow, isn't it? And that's, I mm. think, me that's the thing about the parable is you've got 99 people who aren't really left alone they're left together like the community you're talking about but they have a trust in trust in jesus which actually holds that community together at the same time yeah, yeah. And, and we know the shepherd cares for us and he'll be back soon yep but he's just got to go and deal with this yeah 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 okay mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to pop up on the page. Um, we, we did a survey from the church. We often have a question for the church that they can respond to. Um, Matt was right. Last week um, was the biggest response we've had. And the question I don't have on this slide was something like, what is it that will break um, our sense of community? Or Do you remember the exact question, Matt? Yeah, what gets in the right of us being one? If yeah. Jesus' heart for the church is that we are one, what stops it? And, and that's all the stuff that gets in the road. In the way of being one. And so this week, I'll, I'll put this new slide up. This is what we asked this week. Who are the little ones in your life? We've got a real wide variety of answers. Paul, I wonder if you would be happy to read out a few of these that stand out. Um, elderly, neighbours, homeless, new people, mentally ill, uh, poor people, grandchildren, the cleaner at work, fragile people, needy people. Yeah. Thoughtless people, people with challenging behaviour. There's, there's, a, there's a fair few themes running through the answers. I mean, even though the big ones are the same, I think it's pretty much, pretty much generic through those. So it's yeah, interesting. Mm. What would you say are some of the themes that you're seeing there? I think it's people who are close to you. Well, they, I, I see two types of people in there. I see the ones that are just you have rub shoulders with every day, like your neighbours, 
the people you struggle to get away with, along with rude people. And then, then the other ones is the ones that, as a community, we should be doing something for them. So you've got those you directly interact with, and then you've got those, I suppose, community-community interaction is how I describe it. Mm. Mm. Just, Jill, if you want the list back up, guys, but any, any other observations? Well, it's just challenging that the biggest response there was neighbours. Uh, we, we do it. We talk a fair bit about loving our neighbours at our church and having neighbour day and that sort of stuff. But it's clear that that's still a major. The <laughs> it's still this major growth edge for us to to actually love our neighbours, despite the of that group. They're the only ones that Jesus said, "Yeah, this is what you do." Um, he, uh, but that they were the ones that the majority of people, the, the most people, uh, not the majority, but the most said that they're, they're the ones who, uh, uh, for them, the, the little ones, that's the, because it's the way word clouds work is the, the bigger the word, the more people have said the same thing. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, I found that, uh, interesting, um, yeah. For me, I can see quite a few. It's the uncomfortable people. Mm. It's it's the people who aren't necessarily in your innermost circle, but they're the ones that you have to rub shoulders with that aren't necessarily comfortable to be around. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Like an example is one of them. There is the, the neighbour with dementia. Mm. Um, how do you give that person space continually, repeatedly? Mm. You're not going to benefit yourself from that relationship mm. but it's your job to actually love and care and open up your heart be vulnerable and, and share life with them that's a tough call mm. yeah. someone wrote my husband we're just going to skip over that it could be serious because um yeah. there, there, are, there are two, two and i'm not going to dismiss it because it could be very serious it also came across funny to start with for me, but um, but there are two questions, and this is the bit I struggle with: is that the, this passage is talking about who are the little ones? Mm. For me, they're the ones who have the least influence or the one who need protecting. Um, but this question also says, who are the ones that you have the least space for? And they're two different questions, but I don't think it matters which question you ask. I think I think we're called to love both sets of people. And and I actually think that they're the they are at one level socially they're the same thing, in that mm. who are the people who have the least influence? They're the awkward, painful people, mm. uh, and they are the the kids, the poor, the or, you know it, it, both of them are on the bottom of the status ladder sometimes for different reasons. Mm. Um, yeah. they are on the bottom of the status ladder. The only thing I would argue, though, painful people can be rich, rich, rich and obnoxious. You know, are mm. they really on the lower end of the status ladder? That's mm. the. So you know, painful people could be rich and obnoxious, as opposed to, I find this really tough when somebody's got had it so tough in life. You know, like yeah. there's there's two ends of that scale, which. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because the answer to my question was quite interesting. I don't know if I 
how much do I fess up to? We're being transparent here. Uh, for me, the people I give the least space to aren't the children and the foreign and the refugee. I actually naturally really enjoy giving space to, to those groups. The, the people I would struggle with more are possibly people who are damaging their children through their parenting and not actually focusing on the things I think that, you know, not caring for their kids or, you know, ne the neglectful ones of children or those are the ones that I will really struggle with. Or like you say, Paul, the, those who have a lot of influence and power in our society, um, if they do it obnoxiously, then I, I just find it really hard to make space for them. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because people who are doing it obnoxiously or people who are damaging other people or whatever, there's always uh, there's always a powerless thing going on behind it all. There's always... Uh, it's easy just to see the presenting stuff, but... Mm. And it's not superficial and it, and it doesn't justify it. Um, but the danger is that they'll often be the loneliest people. Mm. Yeah. 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 I'm just going to tap the list up once more. Mm. And I think this list would also, this is a, a list of, obviously for those who are listening on to the audio version of this, we're referring to a list you can't see. Mm. There's, a, there's a whole bunch of stuff and you may want to check out the um the, the the youtube video of this where you can see it but uh i think these are all people who would be at the core of them would be longing for community hmm. they'd be longing for community i my my thesis is we all long for community uh but i think for some people it's really very pointed, like it's mm. the it's the black hole. Um, yeah, I, I don't disagree. We all long long for community. I think we all really do long for for community. I, I suppose my question is, which community or what community do we actually long for, though? Mm. And that's where it gets a bit tough. Like we all have an idea, and I'm stealing Matt's thunder here a bit, but that's all right. Um, we all have an idea of what community is, and Matt talked about community on on Sunday, but what is community? And and for all of us, because we don't live in a village per se, we have different communities depending on where we are. So how do we live in community and how do we choose which community to live in? And this is where I, th I think there is a, a radical idea at the heart of the gospel that we in the West don't get. Uh, I think the church is called to be the prototype kingdom community. It's called to be a different kind of community than our other communities. Uh, but I, I think the danger is we've ended up being one community amongst others because we're not actually particularly any different and sometimes we're worse. Uh, but I, I think the at the core of Jesus' prayer in Matthew 17, when Jesus says, I pray, Father, and he's praying for us as his followers, that they would be one just as you and I are one. He's praying that a healthy community is a Trinitarian community. It's a, What I mean by that, he's saying 
the quality of his relationship with the Father should be echoed by the, the people in the church. And what is that? Well, the early church were wrestling with a way to try and describe it. They came up with the word perichoresis, um, which, which means this complicated idea that you're in me and I'm in you, but we don't lose our identity. We, we, that we're, we're still separate. We are one, but we're not the same, to borrow another great poet's um, words uh, from the, the song One off the album Jaktung <laughs> Baby. Uh, but, Double reference. Yeah. <laughs> you too. You're branched out there, Matt. <laughs> but it, it is this idea this, that the, the church is meant to be to, this place that is genuinely one, but where you are increasingly becoming you. Uh, and that is what the church is. And, and that is only possible. That's a miracle if that happens. The, the pale imitations of that are cults uh, and versions of cults where everybody thinks the same as the leader and avoids conflict. Or uh, at the other extreme, places where, you know, everybody's just individuals doing their own thing. Um, and, and most groups live on a continuum between, between those two things. But the church is meant to be one but not the same uh, and a place where everybody's welcome but a place uh, where you are continually becoming more and more you as you also are becoming more and more, we are becoming more and more one. Mm -hmm. and, and that somehow this, this idea, this, this feels so far from our our understanding of church, that somehow Jesus' vision is that we'd be the kind of community that is so radically different, just people coming touch with us. We go, I, I can see there's something different in you. I want that. Mm -hmm. And people would know we're his disciples by the way we relate to each other is mm -hmm. the core of Jesus' teaching and Jesus' understanding and why I think community is so important. And so, yeah, I, I do think church is meant to be the, the main community in your life. I just don't think we are. And that's the, the journey and the vision I, that I see at the heart of the Gospels and, Jesus and, and Paul's understanding in the Bible. And it's the kind of church I think we want to become but I think there's a fundamental paradigm change that has to happen to get there. So I'll, I'll get off my soapbox at that point. Um, mm -hmm. can, I, can I just say I don't disagree with anything you said there. Um, I suppose it's – I just wonder whether sometimes actually people want to get to that point. I, 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 and that's not being – because people get comfortable and mm -hmm. actually get there You've got to be uncomfortable to get there, and I, I think this is the, this is the, uh, thing with church in general is people go to a church where they feel comfortable, hmm. so they'll go to a you know a liturgical church or they'll go to a, you know charismatic church. They'll go to a church where they feel comfortable, hmm. but I think what you're describing, Matt, is somewhere where you've, there's an uncomfortable. A comfortable uncomfortableness, I think, is probably where we're aiming for. But how do we sort of get there is the challenge, isn't it? Mm. Mm. Absolutely.
and and the a church is necessarily uncomfortable because if I'm comfortable, I'm not facing the dark parts of me. Um, I, there is profound sin in in me, pr profound darkness in me that I need help to face through the power of the Holy Spirit and through what Jesus has done, but also through my brothers and sisters who are going to help me grow up. Uh, and and I also, the problem is that there's also profound darkness in you, Mob, you know, and I've got to find, and, and and so we get together and it is profoundly uncomfortable. There's a whole, this is where I, I, I get on my hobby horse. There's been, a, a in my view, a heresy in the church uh, called the church growth movement, uh, which fundamentally was about let's make it as easy as possible for people to come to church uh and that's how we and it works it works uh but it doesn't produce this kind of community it produces a, a large number of people backsides on seats on a sunday morning and some money getting into the offering plate but it doesn't produce this kind of facing your crap kind of one but not the same uh, community, and mm. and I don't actually, I don't see lots of examples of it, and one of, and and just to make it even more complicated, uh, the the quote that I uh, threw in at the start of the message um, uh, was the, the danger is I could love this idea of the one but not the same community so much that it that that idea becomes a problem. Uh, that this quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer that you know the more you want community the less you'll get it uh, because the what you have in your head is not the same as the real people God has you with and you've got to and who the person he says uh, the people who love their dream of a Christian community more than the actual people of the Christian community uh, become destroyers of that Christian community. It's pretty strong language, and so so I've got to watch. There is a there's a frustration in me because I've got a vision of what the kind of church I want to build. But the danger is that uh, if I keep that vision in view, then that vision itself becomes a problem, and you'll um, stomp on anyone who gets in the way of it. That's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Bang my hand on the table. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I, I think um with. So one, I'd like to ask us, ask us what our takeaways are from this um, as we come up to a close. But one thing, we, we often talk about church as a Sunday morning service, and that's not what we're talking about here. Where, wherever you come into contact with, wherever two or three are gathered, wherever in my name, you know, wherever you come across people from that church community who have come together, I would hope that you would come and find a place where it's a safe place where you can go, oh, I'm okay here. Um, there's space for me here. I, um, I, I'll be safe here. And so these these names that you that I'm just flashing up, no matter who they are, that they when they come across the church, the people of the church um, who are gathered in His name, they will be able to come in and say, "Oh, there's space for me here," or mm. "I think I can find myself here. I don't have to defend myself here. I don't have to struggle for survival. I can just be here." And so that my takeaway is creating that safe space no matter where I am, but as a church, we do that together. Yeah, absolutely. My, 
my takeaway is I was just reflecting on that list and what you just said, Dan, is um, we are all that list. The mm. church is that list. <laughs> I think this is the bit we're missing out. So the church is that list and we want to be community, but we don't want to. I think in some ways we don't accept the fact we're that list. And so if we are on that list, I would be on that list to somebody in the church, maybe more than one person. Yeah. Um, and I think we, we all would be to a certain extent. And so the, the challenge becomes is if the ones that are the, the so-called 99 sheep that are still here can't recognise that and work through that, how are we going to get that last sheep in? You know, like that's the challenge is how do we do church? No, I actually won't use the word church. How do we do life? where we're a community that actually accept the fact that we are those people on that slide? Mm. That's my question challenge from today. Mm -hmm. Something that's really struck me just looking through the notes from the sermon um, is that Matt put in his notes that it happens to be that to someone we are the little one. And to someone else, we may, may be the shepherd. And it's, got a, it's going to take like a putting off of pride and thinking mm -hmm. that we're the shepherd all the time or putting ourselves down and going, well, I'm just the little one. I can't do anything because in a community, you will be a strong person to somebody else and mm -hmm. you will be one of the little ones to others. And it's, it goes right around in a full circle. So mm -hmm. it's like what you were saying, Paul. It's, yeah, it's quite poignant when you think of it that way. It's mm -hmm. you've got to put the pride and your ego aside and realize that in some situations you aren't going to be the strong shepherd and in other times you actually are even if you don't want to acknowledge it and, and that was my takeaway i don't know if i was able to communicate it but i got to keep coming back to the the antidote for me putting my vision of church uh in the in the road the antidote to a toxic church to a toxic group is creating space for the little ones and everybody, everybody creating space for the little ones. And for some people, that's going to include me. Uh, mm. And for others, uh, so, and I love the picture. As I look at our church, I think we're, it's growing. We get, we're, we're, we're getting there. But there, there are chains of people from the, 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 some of the oldest people who, like I, I mentioned, I, I just love watching Agnes and how she works and, and then, seeing the way she relates to Emily and see the way Emily then relates to my daughter, Soph, and then the way Soph relates to some of the kids. And, and, and that's a picture of a healthy church. It's that, that for we, we all need space to be both the little ones and, and the ones who are looking out for the little ones. And, mm -hmm. and that's what produces the one but not the same community. It's not, a, it's not our clever ecclesiology or anything else. It's just that we learn to love each other uh, and 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 not let each other get away with the crap of being self-centered and you know not facing our stuff that we keep growing together and and that it's only possible if Jesus is at the center like it's only possible if you believe in his grace because uh, because not, none of us have the grace we need for the comp for the really complicated thing it is to love people who will hurt us and to um, and who who are different to us, and so we need the miracle. And and I think Jesus is saying that the church is meant to be a visible miracle. 
it's meant it's meant to be that. Mm. Um, and so that's the takeaway is that the, the little ones are actually loving the little ones is actually the key uh, that unlocks all the other stuff. Can, can I just add one more thing? Sorry, Matt. Um, when you were talking about that that list of you know, oh, sorry, I've got names down to your daughter. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I just want to encourage people out there that if they're not part of a list like that, don't be ashamed. No. Really don't be ashamed of that fact. But help us as a church to help you become part of that chain. Yeah. So be bold and step forward or write a note or leave a message, but we want everybody to be part of a chain similar to that. But at the same time, we understand that it can be a struggle to get to that point. So mm. hang in there and talk to somebody. Mm. Absolutely. Yep. So we're going to finish finish up there for today. That's the Tuesday podcast. We'd love you to um, keep having this conversation with us. So feel free to write comments under where you're listening to this or watching this. Um, yeah, but thanks, guys, for your time. Hopefully that's been beneficial for some of you listening. Uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts as well and uh, look out for the little ones this week. Okay. Thanks, guys.